you can have obviously, and I think it's healthy to have uh, metrics for performance across you know all these operational dimensions that we talked about. But in a, you kind of have to find the what's the one dimension that's really going to motivate the organization. What one dimension is a fit for where the company's at, where they've been, and kind of the cultural identity of the business. From the leaders of Global Operations Program at MIT Sloan and the School of Engineering, this is the Playbook Series. Generations of LGO alumni have provided leadership in operations that have transformed entire industries. In this series, we invite alumni to share a page out of their own LGO playbook that has allowed them to achieve excellence in operations. Recently, Dan Shockley of LFM Capital joins students and alumni to share his stories about the importance of finding and building discipline in organizations. Good morning and thank you everyone for joining us today for a session of the Playbook series. I am Ketan Kumal in the class of 2020 and I am very excited to be working with Ling Wang and Jeff Chu to bring on alumni speakers with inspiring stories. Today we have a very special guest with us. Dan Shockley is an alumni of the LGO program who has a record of transformative leadership across multiple industries and functions, including at Ditchwich, Caterpillar and Amazon Web Services. As a testament to the power of the LGO LFM playbook, Dan co-founded the very successful private equity firm LFM Capital, where he is currently the managing director. The firm recently closed its second fund in October 2018. Dan, thank you very much for taking the time to join us and congratulations on the recent deal. Very good. Thank you for the introduction. Um, you know, I... Uh, <clears throat> Just a little more about my background real quickly. Uh, I had the opportunity with Caterpillar to lead a startup facility in China um, and really kind of build a, a world-class facility from the ground up. I ran facilities for them in, in Europe, uh, the UK, France, and Poland. I, I ran Ditchwich, you know, Ditchwich's operation. And so, uh, and then in, you know, in private equity for the last several years, you know, I've had the pleasure of visiting, you know, 25 to 40 factories and businesses a year um, to sort of kind of refine, you know, what I'm looking for. And so as you all approach me with, uh, you know, ideas for a topic today, um, the topic that I really wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, discipline in operating environments and why it's uh, both important, but also uh, it, it's something that's pretty easy to get a sense of, you know, on a plant tour or on a business visit, whether you're visiting a customer, hire a partner, uh, or in my case, uh, you know, a, a target, a company that we're looking at, that, looking at acquiring. So um, before I jump in more, just kind of a technology check. Is everything working okay and everybody can hear all right? Yep. Thanks, Dan. We can hear you. Okay, great. Um, so the topic today is, you know, why is discipline uh, in operations important? 
and, and why is it sort of necessary to create high performance? Um, you know, first of all, if you look at continuous improvement, uh, you know, processes uh, and philosophies in general, they're all kind of rooted on a defined baseline. You need a defined process, a defined way of doing things that you can then iterate and improve and test, uh, monitor and repeat. Um, and so in order to do that, you have to have that, that firm baseline, that definition, the standard process, standard work, uh, depending on what element you're specifically talking about. But uh, it's really important to have that baseline um, as a basis. Uh, you know, inherently connected to that is that the organization has to be willing to follow the defined baseline. If you're not you know, following the standard process, then results are all over the place and you don't really have the foundation to drive a successful continuous improvement initiative or process. Um, and so uh, whether it's uh, in, in lots of different dimensions of the business, this shows up. And so um, you can look for evidence of discipline as you're introduced to a business uh, in, in a lot of different areas. Um, but typically, you know, I will start by looking at safety, uh, you know, looking for asking questions about safety record uh, as you tour a business, uh, observing how work is being done, simple things like are people wearing safety glasses um, or, you know, or a third of the people have their safety glasses on their forehead. Um, you know, quality and warranty, uh, obviously early in our process we get numbers. Uh, from our businesses, and so we start looking at the cost of quality, the cost of warranty, cost of scrap uh, as indicators of, of how the business is, is performing and how uh, then when you're visiting the shop floor, determining kind of how they're achieving those results. Um, delivery performance is a good place to look. You know, do we do what we say we're going to do as an organization? That's really, when I say discipline, that's what I mean. Um, you know, if we have a defined process, do we do it that way? If we give a customer a commitment date, do we meet that commitment date? Um, and then cost control. You know, cost control is probably the one area where I have seen a few businesses do well with cost control and lack discipline. Uh, and they did it through, you know, a, a very regimented bureaucratic process, you know, the the CEO in an organization of a couple hundred approved every expense or something along those lines. That's really not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, um, you know, a process that engages people throughout the organization to really understand the costs that they're responsible for uh, and have some discipline around how they generate them. Um, you know, I, I think that all of those things, you know, kind of, uh, become uh, pretty quickly when you have an opportunity to do a, a, a plant tour or uh, visit a factory, that sort of thing. You know, the things that I look for right away, um, you know, uh, 5S, are people somewhat disciplined? And even in organizations that haven't, you know, sort of uh, institutionalized 5S as, you know, part of a lean journey or part of continuous improvement, you can tell if people, you know, think about where things go. You know, are things generally orderly? 
Um, you know, they may not have all of the, the sort of five S's, um, but are, you know, are they doing any of them? Material management uh, is a place where, you know, often in the businesses that we visit and tour, um, this issue comes up. Uh, you know, recently uh, we visited a business and there was, they just had material everywhere. You know, parts that were destined for the production line, uh, stacked up all over the business, uh, not in inventory locations, a lot of material that was outside of their inventory management system. They're just, they weren't following, again, their own process. Um, safety statistics. You know, I think the fastest area where a lack of discipline uh, impacts people is, is safety. You know, if you have standard personal protective equipment, or if you have a safe way to do a task, but people don't have the, you know, the, the conviction or don't have the motivation or don't have the discipline to follow that, that process and, and practice, then you start to see injuries. You start to see, um, you know, those kinds of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, shortcomings result in people getting injured uh, and those sorts of things. Um, you know, process documentation is sort of more of a, uh, a tangible way, you know, are they using standard work? Do operators have documentation on how um, they do their, their job? We look at um, probably a majority of the businesses that we look at, there are prints going to the shop floor and that's the, the extent of the documentation that they have. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, you know, more obvious things as you get into companies that are maybe a little more mature or down the road a little further, uh, visual metrics is uh, in an area where you start to really understand, are they thinking about what commitments they have made? Are they, you know, trying to be, uh, you know, hold themselves accountable to those commitments areas? And are they really working towards those? And I think the most important part uh, you, you know, you'll see some, uh, you know, red herrings in the visual management area, in my opinion. You know, a board in a factory that populates out of the ERP system that no one ever looks at uh, is not visual management. Just because it's there and it's on a, you know, fancy computer screen and everybody walks by it every day doesn't really mean that it's visual management unless you have employee engagement. You know, so asking employees, uh, you know, uh, as you walk the line, how they're doing this week or how they're doing today, looking for them to, to think about where they would get that information, for them to be engaged with those visual tools is a very important part of that process. All things that kind of point back to this, this, this topic. One of the things that I found interesting when you spoke earlier is that you mentioned Sometimes companies might have discipline in one aspect of the several you mentioned. You mentioned safety, quality, delivery performance, material management. So they might have discipline in one of these aspects, but not others. So I was hoping you could talk about some stories when you've seen this happen and how you convince the company to expand this sense of discipline from one aspect to across the organization? Sure. 
No, that, that's great. And it's a great transition kind of to where I was headed as well. So thank you. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, basically the topic that I was going to shift gears to was how do you get an organization excited about continuous improvement? And maybe uh, a, a parallel question is, you know, how do you assess whether a business, uh, you know, a, a journey into continuous improvement is going to be a relatively easy transition or a very difficult transition? And, you know, basically, uh, I guess my hypothesis, which is still a work in, prog in progress, but, you know, basically organizations that have been successful with discipline in, in certain areas of their business, I think are much more, uh, you know, sort of better positioned for, you know, high performance across a lot of different dimensions. And so it's pretty common, you know, I would say maybe maybe 50% of the time or something, as we go through businesses, they have uh, just a culture around performance in certain dimensions of the business. And so, for example, uh, a lot of the small businesses that we work with have a, a hyper focus on their customers. They're very in tune with their customers. They're very um, passionate about serving their customers and being great partners for their customers. And that translates to, uh, you know, sometimes a, a lot of attention on either quality, you know, or delivery, you know, kind of doing what we say we're going to do when we're going to do it. Um, and so it, it's not uncommon to see, you know, a business that maybe isn't controlling their costs very good. They don't have a safety program. They're their recordable injury frequency is well above industry norms, but man, they, they really nail that customer centric part of, of quality or um, that the, I guess on the flip side of that, occasionally we'll see a company and typically the company is very product focused where the, the kind of culture is all about you know, kind of building the best or the most novel product. Um, and, and if that, you know, if, if one of these buckets that are very operationally driven don't touch on kind of what happens on the shop floor and, and um, you know, be a catalyst for figuring out how you're going to do something well over and over and over again, then, you know, sometimes those companies lack discipline altogether. But you know, if, if you really want to think about, you know, how do I take this and do something with it? You know, a, a lot of us early in our career post LGO, you know, find ourselves or found ourselves in roles where we're trying to drive continuous improvement processes in some way, whether that's implementing from the ground up or not. At Ditchwich, um, you know, I came into Ditchwich and basically, you know, I inherited an organization that was kind of right out of the 1950s. I mean, um, they had started in 1946. They really were doing things the same way they had always done them in, in a way that I hadn't seen before that and I haven't seen since. And I was, you know, really uh, responsible for, uh, you know, implementing a continuous improvement process from the ground up. And, you know, for me, I had to sort of decide what dimension are we going to really grab onto 
Um, you know, you can you you can have obviously, and I think it's healthy to have uh, metrics for performance across you know all these operational dimensions that we talked about. But in a you kind of have to find the what's the one dimension that's really going to motivate the organization. What one dimension is a fit for where the company's at, where they've been, and kind of the cultural identity of the business. Uh, and in that respect, at, at Ditchwich, it was this idea of, of customer. You know, there were stories throughout the business of, you know, the things that, that the organization would do to meet a customer's needs. Things like, uh, you know, making parts overnight, loading them up in a truck and, and driving them literally, you know, a salesman or somebody in our marketing team or even our parts team driving four or five hours to deliver a part to a customer. They prided themselves on that, but at the same time, their delivery performance was really poor. You know, they had lots of one-off kind of situations where they had, um, you know, gone way above and beyond, but they were letting customers and dealers down on a weekly basis by not meeting the commitments that they had put out there for lead time or for delivery dates. And so we were able to really rally the organization around that as we started to uh, define what that continuous improvement process looked like. You know, how do we harness, uh, you know, and where do we kind of focus the benefits of it? What we saw when we started to do that was that, um, you know, we talked, I would say like 80% of the time we talked about delivery performance. Um, and the rest of the time, you know, we might have been talking about safety or cost control or, or quality, but all of those metrics started to come up together as people started to think about their jobs differently, as they started to think about, I can only do it predictably if I do it repeatedly. Um, and so they started to, to think that way. Um, you know, Alcoa in the 90s, um, implemented a company-wide safety program. They had had some major safety incidents. They um, started just a corporate-wide, from the CEO's directive, uh, a safety program. And uh, if you look at kind of Alcoa's history, they, um, as their safety improved, their business improved. And when they got to world-class safety, um, they were world-class in every dimension. Um, and, you know, the recipe for all of these dimensions is really the same. Um, and, you know, a lot of them obviously at some point translate to the bottom line. Um, and uh, so it's just interesting to kind of take a, a study when you look at that. The one thing I would say is in absence of, you know, something that's just kind of obvious from a cultural point of view, uh, safety is always a good go-to. You know, everybody wants to kind of go home from work uh, as good or better than they came to work. And so it's always, uh, you know, a great opportunity to kind of rally people, uh, you know, around a continuous improvement cause. If you have a business that, you know, has a safety problem, then that becomes a great sort of platform uh, you know, as you talk about and get people inspired and get people excited about uh, continuous improvement and how it can positively affect them and their coworkers and their friends. Yeah, so 
This is a very interesting topic because it's so widely applicable. I imagine a lot of people will be thinking about, and I know I am thinking about, discipline in our own current or previous organizations. What are the more practical challenges that you can identify that one would face in bringing about changes that hope to improve the level of discipline in an organization? Sure. Uh, um, so let me, I'll start to respond and then I'll kind of make sure that I'm headed in a, a direction that's, that's good for everybody. But, you know, I, I think it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit at the beginning, which is, you know, any continuous improvement process really requires a defined baseline. And so, you know, the practical challenges of, of starting down a path of continuous improvement is that you have to make sure that you have the right baseline. I mean, I think uh, in every business that I've been in sort of on arrival, one of two things was present. There was either no defined process. So think about something like standard work. You know, an operator's on the shop floor assembling an engine, as an example, for my time at Caterpillar. When I arrived in England, uh, the plant in Shrewsbury that I ran, um, it, the, the guys on the shop floor had all been trained by Rolls-Royce through their apprenticeship program uh, in a period of time where it was common that each mechanic in the factory had an assistant to get their teeth, just kind of to give you an idea of what this culture was like. These guys, there was no standard work. There was no defined process. Everything that we did in that business resided in the heads of our Rolls-Royce apprentice trained mechanics. And so the first step was to start to get that information, you know, on paper, to start to document what the standard was. Um, and oftentimes what we found and we started to do that process was that if we had five different mechanics building a given product, they would all do it differently. And so, you know, we went through very collaborative processes to define and get to the first one. You know, you're, you're negotiating, you know, basically trying to get four of the other mechanics to agree that, you know, they're going to give one of the mechanics process a try um, and use that as a. And then I think, you know, the, the other thing that has to be present is when you start down a path of discipline, you know, it's not, it's not, an, 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 you know, it's not rigid. It has to be uh, something that they feel like they can influence. And so back to the example, you know, if everybody tries that method and, you know, two weeks in, you kind of do a pulse check and three out of the five guys are like, well, hey, my process was better. Like I, I gave it a try but the way that I do this part of the process was better, you know, I'd like for everybody to try that. You, you kind of have to have that um, opportunity built in. Uh, it, when you start to have discipline, but you give people an opportunity to, to take ownership, whether that is, uh, you know, an idea card process where people can write their idea on a card and turn it into management for review, whether that's 
you know, Kaizen events where you have people on the shop floor that are participating in driving structured improvement. You, you just have to have a process built in where people can speak into the process. You can take their ideas, you can test them, and, and ultimately, you know, hopefully uh, a lot of them become part of the defined process going forward. But the hardest part in any continuous improvement implementation is getting the structure in place for the baseline. You know, it's, uh, you know, in a case where you're starting from nothing, you know, getting the standard work documented and getting people to follow the standard work, getting people to do stuff in a consistent way so that when there's an issue, you know that it's a result of a, a failure of the process, not a failure to do the process. Because until you get to that point, until you get to the point where you've, you've built uh, excitement in the organization about continuous improvement and what it will enable in the organization, it, that in some way it will make everyone's job easier and better, and that you get people to the point where they're willing to start investing their sort of energy and effort um, to, uh, to move down that path, you're always asking yourself the question, is this because we weren't doing it the way we were supposed to, or is it because the way we're supposed to uh, isn't working properly? Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. A lot of people with me here right now are in the class of 2020, and a lot of what you talked about resonates quite well with the things we discussed in our classes uh, over the summer in operations management, uh, especially with sort of being scientific in designing and implementing processes, even with the examples you brought up, uh, such as Alcoa, that's something we discussed with uh, Steve Spear here at Sloan quite uh, in depth. So thank you again, Dan, for connecting with us today this has been very informative for all of us and very inspirational hearing about how you've put these principles into play in building world-class operations. I think it's useful to keep in mind as you explained that even though an organization might be disciplined in one aspect, there are often opportunities to sort of grow that sense of discipline and achieve performance in all these other dimensions that are critical. So thanks once again, and I'll let you have the last word before we let you go. No, I, I, uh, I think this is great what you guys are putting together. I appreciate the opportunity to kind of be a guinea pig and, and be uh, the first person to, to do this. Um, I'd love to just kind of stay in touch and, uh, you know, one, to participate in future uh, uh, calls as a listener, but also would uh, be very interested to, um, you know, help you guys identify topics or, or participate in other ways as it might uh, be helpful. So uh, hopefully the topic was interesting and useful today, and I just appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to participate. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. 
Thanks to Eric Ferris and Josh Jacobs for their help and Gar Av for the music.